This is Web Suasion Conversation, Episode 7. Welcome to the show. I am Ryan Williams, president and founder of the Web Suasion Group, coming to you from Mercapoca Studios here in Fayetteville, Georgia at Pinewood Atlanta Studios. Today on the show, we have Heather Riggs of Atlanta Legal Marketing, and Heather is going to tell us about how she made the transformation from adoption attorney to a legal marketing expert. So since we're on the legal topic, I want to talk real briefly about non-disclosure agreements. Now, I preface this with the understanding that we are not legal counsel by any means, and I'm just speaking from my own experience with this. But before you go and talk to any kind of developer or talk to really anybody about your business, you may want to consider going into that with a non-disclosure agreement. And that's going to be something that you draft with your legal counsel. It's not going to be something that's provided for you by whoever you're meeting with. So a lot of times in business, you may have developed a proprietary process or you may have a unique idea that you've come across through your experience in the industry. And you just want to make sure that the people that you're talking with are going to protect that idea for you. It is not the same thing as a trademark or a patent. Definitely get legal counsel on all of that if that's something that you feel you need. But really, practically speaking, all an NDA does is lets us have a conversation with you without your fear of us passing that information along to another party. So having your lawyer draw up a general NDA that you can use as you go around and have various business meetings, maybe with developers or whoever, is a great idea. And of course, also, if you're looking at hiring a developer, you want to have a checklist. We have provided one for you, and it goes through everything that a reputable developer will adhere to. You can go and download that checklist for free at our website, websuasion.com forward slash checklist, W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N forward slash C-H-E-C-K-L-I-S-T. And now our interview with Heather Riggs of Atlanta Legal Marketing. Heather Riggs, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm really grateful for this. So tell me, how did you get interested in law? Okay, so I will take you back to the way, way back, um, the day that I was born. Okay. Um, I was adopted. And so being adopted, my parents were open in explaining that to me and answering my questions. And they explained that in order to make that happen, they hired a lawyer, the lawyer did some paperwork, they talked to a judge, and that's how I became their daughter. So this did really three things for me. First, it grossly and dramatically oversimplified my view of the adoption process. <laughs> you fill out some paperwork, you talk to a judge, you got a kid. Easy. How easy could it be? Right, everyone should do it. But then secondly, and perhaps most pivotally, that was my first impression of what a lawyer was. Okay. So I didn't know about you know Law & Order or Allie McBeal or, or those kind of things. To me, a lawyer was somebody who made families. And that is exactly what I wanted to do. Of course, you know the field of law couldn't be more diverse right, um, right. from that. And that's probably not what comes to most people's mind when they think of a lawyer. But, but that was my first understanding. Um, and then third, something that really has shaped me in every aspect of my life and certainly in my career is that it, that started started me 
off on a path um, that was different than okay. a lot of other people, right? You know, I, I didn't really know anyone until I was much, much older, an adult even, that was adopted or that had adopted. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I kind of had to, to self-actualize, that this was something that was different, but it, that was okay. And in fact, that was even great. That was something that was really cool that I wanted to celebrate and highlight. Is that what got you into drama and, and some of the other theater Probably. work? Probably. Um, you know, it's it's funny when you started to ask that question, I thought, you know, yeah, I've, I've had some drama. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, I, I think that probably was part of it. But the other part was just that um, I think I've always had a, a naturally outgoing and quirky personality. And my parents saw theater as a helpful and productive way to channel that uh, quirkiness and so that they energy. So led, led you to that, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, started in things like... Uh, you know, school plays, church productions, community theater, those sorts of things. And then um, it's it's really grown as an interest and hobby from there. I studied in school, um, probably would have majored in it if my school had offered a major. <laughs> right, but, right. Um, you know, I chose something much more, uh, you know, practical, like psychology uh, to major in. Okay, okay. So, yeah. So you did psychology and then you went into law. Precisely. And I know you worked for somebody for a while, but yeah. you started your own practice pretty soon. I did, yeah. It, it really was straight out of law school. So I was very fortunate to have an internship that turned into a position um, later in my law school and then uh, helped to support me while I was studying for the bar. Super incredibly grateful for that opportunity and the fact that that existed because that was really a, a jewel, a rare thing for, um, for a law student to have such right. an opportunity. And I chose it somewhat strategically, because it was a small firm, I knew that eventually, although it wasn't my exact plan to start a law firm right out of school, but I did know that eventually I wanted to be in solo practice. And so getting the business side of law was something that seemed you know, like a no-brainer to uh -huh. me. Of course, if I'm, if I'm going to have a law practice, I'm going to have to be able to also run a business. And sure. I didn't have a business background. Um, funny enough, that realization has helped me so much now uh, where my career situates because, in fact, that was actually a very unique standpoint to take. It amazes me how few attorneys see their practices as businesses, right. uh, you know, something that's not necessarily separate and apart no matter what industry you're working in right. um, and, and approaching it in that way from a business growth and development standpoint. Yeah, they're first and foremost lawyers and then right. the business is secondary. They're right, not, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If someone asks me what I do for a living, the first thing I say even is that I'm a lawyer. Right. Uh, you know, of course, the, the explanation behind that gets complicated if someone's curious to know more. Right. Um, most people aren't, though. You don't find a lot of folks that want to uh, really dive deep and ask a lot of questions yeah. to a lawyer. That's either a blessing or a curse. Yeah, I don't know. I, I say I'm a developer. I don't say I'm a businessman. Right. Even yeah. That's right. Exactly. What I spend most of my time doing exactly. is business. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you did, when you did your own practice, what were you focused in? It was adoptions. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, that's what led me to go into the law to begin with is, is being that person who helped families grow, uh, even if it wasn't in the traditional way, that helped a family who couldn't otherwise have children or maybe for whatever reason felt led to include a child who didn't have a home uh, in their family, um, as was the case for me, uh, to, to be able to do that in a way that they understood that was affordable for them, uh, where everything was really taken care of. Because the one thing I most assuredly knew as I started to get to know more folks who had gone through the adoption process, either having been adopted themselves or you know chosen to adopt a child, is that it's 
an incredibly frustrating and stressful process. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, when from my standpoint, it should be one of the most beautiful and exciting and easy, simple processes uh-huh. um, that a family could go through. At what point did you start identifying the niche that you're in now, which is legal marketing? It was after my practice had taken off and I really grew my client base through networking, of course. I think that's really an essential part of any business development plan, but also through using the internet and digital mm-hmm. marketing. You know, again, I didn't realize that that was something that not everyone was doing, but increasingly my friends and colleagues would invite me to lunch or coffee and, you know, they would say, oh my gosh, Heather, how do you come up with all these blog topics? Right. Can you help me? Or will you take a look at my website? What would you suggest? Am I doing Facebook right? I just really don't know much about it. What do you think about this, that, or the other? And I realized, wow, you know, there are these amazing advocates that I look up to, um, and yet they can barely keep the lights on of their practice right. because marketing and business development is such a foreign concept to them. You know, and that could be for a lot of different reasons. For one, technology is overwhelming. Yeah. Right? Um, even as somebody who works in technology, I even find it overwhelming, Absolutely. you know, the pace yeah. of change and, and all of that. But at the same time, um, you know, for a practitioner who, as you, you very astutely pointed out, really sees themselves as a practitioner, and depending on how long they've been in the industry, you know, lawyers really didn't need to market. Right. You, know, you had the lawyer in town, and that's who you went to, and they did all of the things that you needed in, a, in the legal realm. But that couldn't be farther from the truth now. Right. And law firms have to adapt and keep up if they're going to have longevity. What are some of the things that you find legal firms are doing? Like what mistakes are they making from the standpoint of their website or their marketing? What What is a commonality that you find? I would say it's not connecting what happens before someone is a client to what happens when someone does become a client. So for example, I see a lot of law firms break down at the intake process, right? So they're doing all this advertising, Uh, you know, they wanna do pay-per-click campaigns, have a fantastic website, and then once the client uh, starts speaking with their client relationship manager or their receptionist or or whoever is that point of contact, that's when it all breaks down uh, because ultimately marketing is meant to lead to a sales conversation. Right. And uh, when that person is unprepared to have a sales conversation, then they're going to ultimately lose that client and waste their money on what would otherwise be something that could help the practice grow. So kind of bridging that gap between potential client and actual client is is a place where I see a lot of law firms struggling these days. So what are some of the tools that you put in place that to help them make that connection? Yeah. So training is one, um, which, you know, I don't know if you would consider that a a tool per se. Um, Maybe it's a knowledge tool, Mm -hmm. but, you know, helping to understand, you know, hey, is there a way that we can integrate, um, you know, your practice management software into your website so that that makes keying that information easier. So when the uh, receptionist or client relationship manager, whatever that position is, calls this person back, they're already more informed about their case. You know, they don't have to ask them the same questions again Uh and again of making sure that each person who who's in the process of serving that client understands what's going on, opening those lines of communication. So once the receptionist talks to the person, moves it on to a paralegal, moves it on to an attorney, and back and forth through the firm, that all of that is happening seamlessly. So integrating things like a CRM, which for a lot of businesses, how could you possibly manage without a CRM? But uh, that's much less common in law firms. Yeah, I I can imagine that. Uh, They're done with the case and they don't really think about it. Right, right, right. 
when you talked about content, obviously you have methods of coming up with content, but additionally lawyers and a lot of other fields too, but they have a, an additional layer of, of complexity yes. and concern with that and yes. that they could get into things that can get them into trouble. Of course. So how do you help out? Yes. So um, being a lawyer myself, I think is really the 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 biggest and easiest way that I'm able to overcome that challenge. So for each attorney licensed in Georgia, not only do you have to take the bar exam on substantive legal knowledge, Mm -hmm. uh, but you also have to take a separate exam on legal ethics. And while that includes a wide range of topics, um, it does cover marketing and communications. And so at the bare minimum, I am literally certified in marketing ethics. Okay. Uh, So I I think that's an advantage, but uh, working with it day in and day out, I still maintain an active bar license. So I I have the benefit of continuing education in these areas and uh-huh. I strategically choose which courses I want to do each year and pursue so that I can stay on top of those legal ethics considerations and help my clients navigate the compliance that they face with their marketing. And not too long ago, you went to Google, right? Can you I tell me did, what, yes. what was the situation? They were look, actually looking for people who are doing legal marketing? That's exactly right. Yeah. So Are there um, many of you? <laughs> uh, you, would, you would be surprised. Yes. Are there really? Um, there are very few who are also lawyers. Okay. Um, and for legal marketers, we fall into one of three categories. There are folks like me who do legal marketing as a job. Few of those people are lawyers. There are lawyers who are doing marketing for their firm, but they're lawyers. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's folks like me who who have both. So, yeah. um, so yes, yeah, so to, to bring it back to Google, as I think all things do come back to Google, don't they? <laughs> right. um, so, for better or worse. Yes, exactly. So yes, Google was looking for legal marketers to invite up to their headquarters in New York for a legal marketing summit to discuss all of the different products and services that they offer and how to contextualize that for a law firm. So I had the opportunity to attend this summit back in November, and it was amazing. You know, Google really at the beginning of their role in the zeitgeist was this big mysterious entity. You know, no one sees behind the curtain. No one knows what they're really thinking, what really are ranking factors. And they have really made a tremendous concerted effort to move away from that perspective to share more information. Um, You know, maybe even if not with the general public, so to speak, through partners and through affiliates like myself who provide services through Google or work with Google to provide the services that I do um, and helping at least us to understand what are they looking for? How can can we see our clients be successful? And I think, you know, really it's because they've come to the the very simple realization that it's kind of a help me help you right. kind of a situation. If it's even a mystery to their providers, mm-hmm. uh, that's not going to necessarily lead to an increase in business for them, right? Mystery yeah. is no longer a selling point for most industries, technology most especially. So how long have you been doing Atlanta Legal, legal Market? Yeah, so we celebrated five years back in October. Oh, so uh, we started October of 2013. Um, and at that time, I was still practicing law, but I made the decision that I would stop taking new legal clients okay. at that point. But at the same time, it was very important to me because adoption is such a deeply personal area of the law that I not refer any of the clients that I had at that time out to other attorneys. So I wanted to naturally conclude the matters that I had, and that took about another six months to do. So, you know, as one ramped down, the other ramped up, which was a phenomenal condition to be in, you know, as an entrepreneur, I had that safety net and a little bit more stability and predictability income-wise, which I 
feel very fortunate to have had. I realize not every entrepreneur gets to have an experience like that. And in fact, even myself, when I started my law firm, I think a lot of people were like, well, don't you want to, you know, think about, <laughs> right. don't you want to do something on the side or kind of yeah. contract work, anything? No. Right, right. Um, but I just dove in head first. Your client shift obviously yes. went from the public who That's were right. looking for adoptions to now other attorneys who obviously you had some relationships with right, through the yeah. bar and, and other associations. But did you find any challenges in switching that role, switching that target? Yes. Attorneys are natural skeptics. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure that's shocking to hear, yeah. but um, but it's true. And so going from a market base where people were really interested in what I had to say, I was the subject matter expert, that's still the case now for me, but it's almost more of a case where I have to get to the yes. I would have had to have tried really hard to find a no for my legal clients because they were pursuing my service because they understood that in order to accomplish their goal, they needed me. Um, Lawyers don't have that recognition necessarily when they start to to speak with me about what I can do for them. It's it's more of a, well, I I know what, you know, all the marketing gobbledygook and I don't think I need that. I don't know. Lawyers are different. I don't know if this is going to work for a lawyer. So yeah, so that just overcoming that skepticism, which I do through education. I feel if my clients feel really comfortable and informed about what's going to happen, they're a lot happier, a lot more likely to be more open-minded about what I have to say. And I think that's probably the frustration of a lot of lawyers in general when they are being bombarded by service providers in any area. It's that, hey, we're going to do these 55 things for you. Don't worry about how it works. Just trust me. Here's the check. Um, You know, but but I'd take a very different approach. What are you looking for in 2019? How are you shifting your business? Is there, you have any new things happening? Yeah. So this is not advice. I would have given myself five years ago when I started because it was really important to me to be as narrow as possible and then as deep as possible in the services Uh that I provided. And that's why I focus mostly on content. Now, however, I'm actually looking for opportunities, strategic partnerships specifically, to provide a more comprehensive service offering to clients. So I know my limits. I know that, for example, I'm not a video producer. I'm not a graphic designer, right? right? And those are not things that I'm going to try to do myself or even build an in-house team to accomplish. But at the same time, my strategic vision and understanding and the width with which I understand marketing in the law firm context very naturally bleeds into a lot of areas like that. I get a lot of questions Uh in areas where I can very well advise, but I can't necessarily implement. Right. And so looking for ways to say, yes, not only that, but I've got this person or that person that I can connect you with, you know, manage the relationship, but make sure that my clients are getting a more comprehensive marketing picture and, and service offering. You have a very, very targeted audience. Yes. What do you find from a sales perspective? Obviously, once you connect with someone, you have to break the ice right, and sure. get to that yes. But how are you getting there? How are you finding your clients? I hope it's a, a relatability factor that I've been where they have been. An overwhelming majority of the folks that I serve are solo and small firm attorneys. And I have been a solo small firm attorney. I understand what it's like to go through a budget and say, you know right. what, we've got this amount for marketing. What are we going to do? Can we afford to do this strategy or that strategy? So I'm very respectful and mindful of 
providing a service that will fit a budget, even if it's, you know, a smaller service offering. Everything that we do is intentionally designed to be a la carte so that no matter where a client comes in terms of budget and need, we've got some sort of service offering that will work for them. And almost all of our clients end up scaling or kind of tiering the services that they do. Right. And then in six months, we're going to add this. And the next year, we're going to add that. So I think that's really cool because it also develops a longer term relationship with my clients, which I really like. And are they pretty much custom? Everyone's kind of got a unique situation. You're not doing exactly the same thing. Yes. So in terms of their service offerings, it is custom. Uh, But we have very specifically defined deliverables, which is what allows us to be very budget conscious for on behalf of our clients um, and and say, you know, you're going to get exactly X, Y, and Z for this exact cost. Um, You know, and so then if you want something else, we can add that, we can kind of create a custom package. So in that case, it is very customized. But in the sense of the actual service itself, um, it's it's very specifically defined. If you had any advice you could give to people either starting their business or trying to grow their business, they've been in business for a while, but they're kind of stagnated and they're wanting to try to get over that hump, what would you recommend based off of your experience? Not necessarily in the legal realm, but yeah. just in general. Yeah, I would say uh, don't be afraid of being different. So just because nobody else is doing it doesn't mean it's something bad to do. Right. Um, you know, at the same time, you've got to temper that with with what's realistic, right? You don't want to go too far out of left field. But that's exactly what I did. You know, I looked around and I said, there's really nothing like this and there's right. no one like me. Is that because this can't work? Or is this because just no one's thought of it yet? And right. I think a lot of business owners, women business owners especially, take the perspective of, well, if it's not already happening, maybe it shouldn't, and are more fearful of breaking that mold and being the pioneer and being the first. Right. So yeah, I would tell someone, you know, go for it, go out there, blaze new territory, go forward and conquer. Right. Well, I think you're a good example of finding a niche because I mean, a lot of times when people go into business, they try to take every job mm-hmm. that comes in, no matter what, whether it's a good fit, they don't even yeah. know what fits them right. at that point. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I did that too. At some point, you kind of find, you know, this little thing that's underserved that you can do. And that's exactly what you've done with, with your business. So yeah. so defining that niche is uh, really, really critical. I, I, re- I appreciate you coming on the show. Yes, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you'll review us on iTunes and maybe we will read your message on one of the next shows. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on Apple, subscribe to us on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week on the show, we have Dante Stevens of New Wave Automation, and he's going to tell us about how his home automation business started and what inspires him as a business owner. Thanks for listening, and I wish you a productive work week.